0: Hey now, we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times, data with a special NXT Gold Rush edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, Getting Over is back for the second of four times this week to break down everything that happened Tuesday night as NXT presented night two of its two-week gold rush special the silver king adam silverstein is here to dive into every match and storyline on the show and wrap it all up with a bow as we move on and nxt begins building to great american bash coming up in july a lot to talk about on today's show but you know we're going to start an episode of this podcast with a reminder that getting over is all about So be sure to leave those five-star ratings and reviews for us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify on Apple, of course. The review, if you leave five stars, we'll read it live on the show. Spotify, you can leave comments on the individual episodes. Please follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast for episode drops, news analysis highlights, and so much more. And also remember, I happen to love the number five. So it would be great if you join us at buymeacoffee.com slash Over. For only $5 a month, you get bonus audio, news posts, and you become an official Getting Overhead supporting the show with that monetary contribution. We appreciate everyone who's already done it, and we hope that more of you decide to do it as we continue with the show. Let me also give you a quick rundown of this week's schedule here at Getting Over. Already in the feed is your WWE Money in the Bank 2023 Ultimate Preview. Vintage Chris Vanini and yours truly, Break down every match on the show and cover the entire week in WWE. You do not want to miss that. We're, of course, releasing this NXT show on Wednesday. Thursday, we'll be coming back with your AEW and JPW Forbidden Door fallout, along with breakdowns from AEW Collision, Rampage, and Dynamite. And then on Saturday, we will have your WWE Money in the Bank instant reaction as soon as that show goes off the air. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast so you can vote in the pre- and post-show polls for Money in the Bank, and so you can join our live Twitter spaces Saturday afternoon before that show begins in London. In terms of what the schedule is gonna look like going forward here at Getting Over, that remains up in the air, I guess is the best way that I can say it. I'm a little concerned with the introduction of AEW Collision, that the Thursday show would be way too loaded with Collision, Dynamite, and Rampage all together, plus NXT. I also feel like NXT would kind of get hidden because there'd be so much talk about AEW all on that one show. So we're going to give this a chance, at least for this week, maybe we'll do it next week as well. A separate, shorter, of course, NXT episode in between the WWE and AEW episodes. We'll see what traffic looks like. I would love to hear your opinions. Please hit us up on Twitter at Getting Overcast. You can email us gettingoverpod@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Do you want NXT to be separate? Do you like it all contained? on the Thursday show. Do you prefer to only hear from the Silver King twice a week unless there's an instant reaction podcast? Whatever you guys want is what we will do. Maybe I'll even post a poll on it and you can vote and let us know what you think. But if you have any ideas or thoughts on the way it should be structured, I'd love to hear them. It is difficult with Collision being on Saturday. The number of days between getting to it and then the AEW show on Thursday, there's a huge gap there, but I'm not gonna do two AEW shows a week when we only do one WWE show. It just doesn't make sense. So I'm just trying to figure out what's best for business, what's best for all of you, our listeners. And again, if you have any ideas, please contribute them. But at least for this week, maybe next week as well, we will try doing WWE Tuesday, NXT Wednesday, and AEW on Thursday. With that said, let's get into your NXT Gold Rush Night 2 Complete Breakdown. We'll start with the way NXT ended the NXT Championship on the line, Carmelo Hayes defending against Baron Corbin. Now, Trick Williams juiced up Melo backstage right as hour two began, when suddenly Rhea Ripley stepped into frame. She basically had a message that Melo helping Seth Rollins against Finn Balor was a dumb decision, and if anything like that ever happens again, it'll officially be Judgment Day's business to take them out. It was cool to see Ripley standing up to like a men's champion like this, especially on her own without the rest of Judgment Day, and especially ahead of a big match as well. Even better, the lone wolf was officially back for Corbin. Pretty much the entire aesthetic, except for those red spotlights and of course, his hair. But it was a good look by NXT finally making this change. Clearly they were saving it for this moment, but still all those other weeks I maintain, the old music, using that with him was absurd. I'd rather him leave to nothing than come out or exit to the old music it was absolutely ridiculous, but nevertheless, Lone Wolf Baron Corbin is back. So Mello got flipped, turned upside down, eating a boot while running as Corbin largely dominated him for the first half of the match. Mello came back with a frog splash fadeaway and half the springboard backwards DDT. Corbin caught Mello flying for attitude adjustment and a choke slam over the knee. Then he powerbombed him into the announce table lid and bashed his head into the lid a few times with his upper arm. This was almost a callback to Kenny Omega and Will Ospreay. Uh, from Sunday. I thought that was pretty interesting. Uh, Mello countered deep six, but then ate a super spinning version of deep six for a 2.9 false finish. It may have been a top two deep six that Corbin has ever done. Mello finally escaped end of days and hit a DDT jumping over the top rope, bashing Corbin's head into the ring apron, the hardest part of the ring. He followed with nothing but net to retain the title in 16 minutes. What's crazy is that this show NXT as a whole there was a couple minutes after this ended, went all the way to 10: 15 p.m, which made me think about how NXT could have actually done the whole, hey folks, don't worry, USA network is staying with us until this match ends and actually mean it as opposed to what happens on the Turner stations where they say that you know once a month and the show just happens to end at 959. But back to this match itself. Uh, it was incredible follow-up to Melo's loss against Finn Balor. Obviously, Hayes was great. Corbin worked his ass off together. They put an extremely strong 16 minutes together. It was just a fantastic match from bell to bell. That's really the best way to describe it. Mello looked good. Corbin looked revitalized. And we remembered this guy can actually go when he's given a high-quality opponent, when he's given time in the ring, and when he's allowed to do a couple things different. If memory serves, we did not get that standard run around the ring post, come back inside type of thing that we got from him in every WWE match main roster that it seemed at least in the latter half of his time there. He may have done it and I missed it, very possible, but I don't remember it. And I say that as someone who liked that move, but we got some unique stuff. He did a freaking attitude adjustment. He did the choke slam over the knee. I don't remember him doing those moves. It's really just been like normal big man stuff, Uh, deep six, end of days, and that's your Corbin repertoire. So he did more work. He came across better, and I'm focusing a lot of my commentary on Corbin just because I don't want him to get overlooked. We know Melo's great. Melo's had quite a week, all right? He was on Raw. He fought Finn Balor. That was awesome. He came here, and he had just as good of a match against Corbin, and of course, he won and retained the title, which kind of wipes out the memory of the loss to Balor. It makes it insignificant because they did such a good job here. I went four stars and an A- minus for this match. That might actually be selling them a little bit short but I just loved what they did in the main event. It was a good look. I'm curious into in terms of what's going to happen with Corbin next. He is a free agent. So does that mean that his time in NXT is done and he's back on the main roster? I hope not. I would love to see Corbin in NXT at least through Great American Bash. I'd like to see him feud with someone and actually beat them and use that as kind of a springboard back to becoming something significant on the main roster. But you know, a one-month kind of vacation in NXT just to bring back Lone Wolf, to me, that's not enough. I want to see the Lone Wolf succeed in NXT. And I want Corbin to find that character again before they bring him back up. Now, NXT ended moments after this match. And the last thing that we got was actually Braun Breaker screaming at Shawn Michaels in his office. We didn't see Shawn uh, saying that he's beaten everyone. There's nothing left and nobody can control him. He then screamed at the cameraman and who asked him what happened there, saying everyone will find out next week on NXT. So he got a nice cliffhanger. To say that Breaker is better as a heel is a massive understatement. I'm curious to see where this goes because it did seem like Isla Dragunov was the next feud for him. Now, maybe HBK will bring some like individual main roster talents down to Fight Breaker rather than him being the one getting called up. But he lost to Rollins, so it's strange that he's throwing a fit, saying he's beaten everyone when, again, he hasn't. Isla Dragunov is an example of one person he hasn't beat. Here's another, Dijak. I mean, I can keep going. There are plenty of people in NXT he has not fought. And again, I just don't feel like a rushed call-up for him to the main roster makes any sense. So I want to see Breaker in NXT, yeah, have him break skulls, have him take out the entire roster, and then call him up maybe after SummerSlam, but I would save it. I would maybe do it at the Royal Rumble if I was WWE. Now, speaking of him, Dragonov got a promo package where he basically talked about being a straight up badass who doesn't let pain affect him. He said his mind and spirit are unbreakable and will continue to be in the face of Braun. Solid here. It made him look cool as hell. The Women's Championship Tiffany Stratton against Thea Hale opened NXT Duke Hudson, Drew Gulak, and Charlie Dempsey were all ringside. Stratton quickly broke a Kimura lock, hitting her double back handspring elbow, a running double stomp, and a sit down Liger bomb. The heels pulled the bottom rope away from Stratton while Hale had her in like half of a Kimura, so she released it and yelled at them. Gulak jumped on the ring apron to yell at the referee. Hale put the Kimura back on Stratton and actually forced her to tap out with no one really seeing it. Then she argues with the ref, and Stratton rolls her up with leverage to retain the title. In nine minutes, the heels yelled at Haley after the bell, so Hudson went over and got attacked by them. With Gulak seemingly saying that it's her fault, that led to the return of Andre Chase to a huge pop as he and Hudson cleared the deck. Okay, few things here gotta say, I was kind of shocked that they had Stratton tap out a second time. It's one thing to submit in like a non match where it's a prelude to it and it's a confrontation segment, and it doesn't really matter if you tap out, but you're when you're in the ring and it's actual competition. What they just showed us is that Stratton would have lost to Hale if it wasn't for the referee. And I don't know that it was necessary. I mean, Stratton just became champion and she's not that heelish. So it hurts her. Now it looked good for Thea, don't get me wrong, but I thought it hurt Stratton for them to book it that way. I didn't find that to be necessary. Uh, This was super fluid, the match. Really natural, both of them in the ring. Good storytelling and character work solid booking across the board, and the return of Chase went over extremely well. I would love to see Gulak and Dempsey recruit a woman and actually like train her and have her be part of what they're doing, their, their wrestling school, so they can do a real six-person mixed tag rather than just a tag team battle almost over the education of Thea. Like, okay, that's fine, but I would love to see those guys recruit someone. I think that would be a much more interesting version of the story. We'll see what they ultimately wind up doing. Uh, but otherwise successful, uh, 3.5 stars B, uh, and that's a good grade for this. Again, Thea is a total neophyte, and Stratton's only been doing this for a couple of years. So to be able to put on a match, that quality with some good storytelling. Rehearsed or not, I don't care. It was still good. That's a credit to both of them. Tag Team Championship, Gallus defended against Idris Sanofe and Malik Blade. The champions wondered backstage where Joe Coffey was at, agreeing to find him and take out stacks after the match. Angel Garza and Humberto Carrillo watched from the crow's nest, but they didn't really factor into this in any way. Anofe slipped off of Mark Coffey's back when he tried to do, I think it was a jump splash on Wolfgang, but Coffey was kind of standing rather than crouched on the ground, so I don't know how they expected that to work. Uh, The faces had an assisted neckbreaker drop and a stereo top rope uh, move so one did a splash, one did an elbow drop for a broken fall. Stacks appeared set to attack Coffee. It seemed when the referee was distracted with Wolfgang stuck in the ropes, but instead Coffee dodged him with Stacks ramming Anofei into the steel steps. Then he actually picked him up and rolled him into the ring to help Gallus, which hit their finisher and retained the titles in thirteen minutes. Now it seemed purposeful in that moment uh, that Stacks attacked Anofei, but it didn't seem like he was doing it to help. Gallus, but rather to retain the titles that way he could go after them. And that obviously created some intrigue. The match itself was solid, but unspectacular. I wouldn't say Anofe and Blade had their profile raised by it. The botch was rough. Gallus, they just remain uninteresting champions. As we've said, I really want Garza and Corio to hold those titles. So Joe Coffey later visited Tony D'Angelo in jail. He wondered how Coffey got away from Stacks, catching himself saying that because he almost incriminated himself that he knew of the abduction that happened on TV next week, or last week, I should say. So Coffee explained, Stax has ambition and a mind of his own, claiming he sold Tony out. Then he played audio of Stax from last week, telling Joe to lay low for a week so he can replace Tony and become the underboss. Later on Twitter, Stax retweeted the segment saying, I'm running these streets now, the new Don of NXT, and he also changed his... Uh, profile description to the new Don of NXT hashtag free Tony D. Why that would still be there doesn't totally make all the sense in the world when you combine them. I got to say, though, they have taken a storyline that I was moderately interested in. They quickly made it pretty intriguing. Now we have two instances where we are to believe Stax is turning on D'Angelo and helping Gallus. Now, whether that comes to fruition, we'll see. My guess is not so much that Stax has turned on D'Angelo, but that Stax is making Gallus think he has turned on D'Angelo. And it's their plan for them to believe that he's selling out Tony and and taking over and and doing this whole thing, where in reality, it's a plan from D'Angelo and Stax to kind of come back and double cross them and expose them and then obviously fight them and win the titles. But No matter what direction they're going, whether this is real and Stax is turned on D'Angelo or they're playing a game with Gallus, color me intrigued, man. I actually care about the story. Good for them. Uh, Noam Dar backstage was broken up over losing the Heritage Cup last week. Again, he didn't even fight in that match. Metaphor called out Ronda Rousey and Shayna Baszler after their tag team title win. Oro Mensa said they were all united as they ate lollipops and showed off their painted nails. And that was really about it. It was a good segment kind of establishing the tone of the new group, but it didn't actually accomplish much. So the Heritage Cup was defended. Nathan Frazier, who recently won it, fought Dragon Lee. Out of nowhere, Dragon came out to a brand new entrance theme that was completely unnecessary and a massive downgrade from his original one. Very strange. Frazier had a great counter on a Huracarana off the ropes, turning it into a really tight sunset flip powerbomb Pinning combination for the first fall in round two. Dragon later lifted Frazier out of a roll up into a really sick one armed Liger Bomb to even it 1 1 in round four. Dragon next countered a superplex roll through into another Liger Bomb for a false finish. And with time ticking out in round five, there was a three way reverse of a pinning combination with Frazier catching the fall as time ticked off the clock. Literally, the final count was like with a half second remaining. Dragon handed Frazier the cup after the bell, and he, of course, celebrated by himself. This was exceptional, okay? There was one small botch in the finish, but these guys were on absolute fire. I seriously could have watched them go for another 30 minutes. I think this went about 15. I could have watched them go for 45 minutes, and honestly, with the way their stamina came across in this match, I believe they could have done this exact type of match for 45 minutes, and only let up briefly, perhaps, to catch their breath. I'm going 4.25 stars and an A here for what was basically a sprint with 20-second breaks. These guys can absolutely go. Frazier retaining, giving he just won The Heritage Cup was obviously the right decision. The one problem with Dragon Lee right now in NXT is the guy's putting on great matches, and he's involved on TV consistently, and he's in pretty decent stories, but he's losing Everything. And this was a big signee. So he kind of needs to start winning. I'm starting to wonder if perhaps the plan is to make a change with the North American Championship where maybe Mustafa Ali wins it from Wes Lee and serves as a transitional champion for Dragon Lee to win off him. That would make a lot of sense if that's the direction they're going. I'm not saying that you need to have a title to be valuable in NXT. But look, they have three men's singles titles, you know, Heritage Cup, if you consider it part of that. And I'm not saying Dragon Lee needs to necessarily hold one, but he needs to be winning enough matches where he's at least considered a contender for all of them. And right now he keeps kind of getting these opportunities, but he loses every single time. He needs to kind of win something at this point, or he shouldn't be continuously challenging for them. That's really what I'm getting at. But Dragon Lee's been super impressive. Nathan Frazier, right now is on track to be a big time star in WWE. They just got to figure out the character and this whole last week tonight ripoff that they're doing is not it. So if they can get him a character, sky's the limit for this guy. Uh, Mustafa Ali got into it with Wesley and Tyler Bate backstage, saying he called their match down the middle, even including the fast and slow counts. And that is kind of true. He kind of screwed them over equally in that match. It was friendly but contentious, that conversation. Uh, Bate particularly complained with Ali, uh, pointing out that they both agreed for him to referee, and that's what they got based on that agreement. Instead of a Bate rematch, Ali wanted a chance at the title himself. So Bate offered to be his special guest referee. Ali declined that, of course, and they argued with West, kind of just deciding to walk away from everything. Now, it made sense as a continuation of the story, I'd have liked to have gotten something a little bit more definitive kind of coming out of it, but there's not that much of a rush. Uh, we're getting Ali and Bate next week, one-on-one. I assume that's going to dis- uh, to serve as like a de facto number one contendership. And if that's the case, then perhaps we get Ali and Wesley for the title at Great American Bash. Uh, we got a full clip package from Raw Underground ahead of the Eddie Thorpe, Dame, and Kemp match next week. Then we saw Gable Steveson showing Thorpe pictures of his brother before they trained. They kept making veiled references to Gable knowing him, but they kept staying away from sharing that Damon is actually his brother, Bobby Stevenson. It ended with Thorpe asking Stevenson to get his back next week with Gable agreeing because he'll have a chance to wave to Damon's parents. Again, it's just so strange that they aren't addressing the brotherhood despite thrusting Stevenson into this storyline on purpose. Though look, maybe that's the idea. Is they're teasing it and the quote-unquote smart fans, the IWC all know, and they're like, why aren't they just saying it? And then they actually give it to us next week where Gable turns on Eddie and teams with Damon, and maybe they actually change Damon's name to Bobby Stevenson. I don't know exactly what they're gonna do, um, but it would make sense that they're hiding it now to then deliver that next week. Otherwise, it's just super frustrating. There was a schism family meeting called by Ava to work out all the group's issues. Jagger Reed was dressed like James Drake used to be dressed, saying he and Rip Fowler put their trust in Joe Gacy to help their careers, but it's been the opposite. They've actually been helping Joe's career. Gacy pointed out how Reed never got to speak when he and Fowler were just a tag team on their own. Fowler said Gacy keeps flipping from inclusive to exclusive to inclusive, and they're beginning to realize who they really are. Gacy said inclusivity is what brought in Ava and accused them of never being fully bought in to the mission. Uh, Diamond Mine interrupted, saying Fowler and Reed don't want to be there, they don't want them in NXT, so they should hurry up and leave so Schism can implode. Gacy therefore booked the Creed Brothers versus Dyad in a loser leaves NXT match next week, with Fowler and Reed seemingly angry about that. Later backstage, Dyad argued with Ava that Gacy was at fault for again making a decision without their input, and they promised to make him pay if it went sideways. So look, a lot happened here. Now, as we've discussed before, Dyad, Drake, and Zach Gibson, they requested their WWE release and were denied it, with Shawn Michaels and Triple H reportedly asking for an opportunity to do better by them since they got saddled with this awful gimmick. Now, after that report came out of HBK and Triple H asking them for that, I believe Drake publicly tweeted his release request like a week or two later. And their contracts were supposed to be coming up any time now. So it's interesting that the Creed's mentioned this offhanded. The question is whether that was playing into the rumors for a story or directly addressing them on purpose. So there's a few different ways this can go. The first, of course, is Dyad losing and leaving the territory entirely, leaving NXT and WWE. The second is Dyad losing and leaving NXT, but going up to the main roster of WWE, perhaps as the Grizzled Young Veterans. Maybe they came to an agreement and said, you know what, we'll stay as long as we get to do this and as long as we're not in NXT anymore. Now, of those two options, I still believe it would be 80-20 with them leaving WWE just because of the way the reports went, because they publicly tweeted their release request. It's very rare for someone to publicly tweet a release request and stay. Mustafa Ali is one of the few where that's actually been the case. And I think Ali actually even re-signed or I'm not exactly completely sure what his situation is. But if they lose this match, again, I would say 80-20, they're gone entirely versus actually moving up to the main roster. But there is another option and that is Diamond Mine, the Creed Brothers losing this match and getting called up, and that's intriguing. I don't necessarily think the main roster needs more tag teams. At the same time, the idea of the creeds going up, and whether it's on their own, or what about them joining Alpha Academy and doing a full stable with Chad Gable coaching all these guys, man, that is super intriguing. Clearly, they're ready for the main roster from an in-ring standpoint. I do think Julius Creed and Brutus, both of them, but Julius is the star of the team. He needs to work on his promos. I don't think he's there yet. Again, sometimes it's just trial by fire, right? Braun Strowman got called up to the main roster without, I don't think, wrestling a single match or appearing facially. I don't remember if he wore a mask when he was part of Adam's Adam Rose's Rosebuds or not. He was doing that for a while, but... He never wrestled and he didn't really know. He was green, is my point. He was a neophyte when he got called up to the main roster. And it was rough at the beginning and he figured it out. And these guys are way more advanced than Strowman ever was when he was in NXT. So if you call the creeds up, it could definitely work. My biggest concern about calling the creeds up is not bringing Ivy Nile as well. I think it was just last week on this show where I made a very clear statement that they need to stay together. They're a great brother-sister type of team, even though she's not really their sister. the It just works so well, their relationship with each other. And being able to get that on the main roster, a lot of people would buy into them. So Ivy doesn't get to wrestle a lot when she does. She's not nearly as far along as the Creeds are. My biggest concern, again, is them getting called up and her being left behind. But if they do lose this match, you know, that would be interesting. It'd be them swerving us. Then the question is, okay, so the Creeds are getting called up what actually does happen with the Dyad. Are they still on their way out of the territory? Did they perhaps re-sign? Are they going to stay but break up from Schism and become Grizzled Young Veterans again? There's a lot of intriguing stuff here and I'm really interested to see what goes down. But let's just remember, I said a year ago when these guys showed up as Dyad that it was a horrendous gimmick, completely doomed to fail and a total waste of their talents. And here we are exactly... 12 months later, almost exactly 12 months later with these guys potentially on their way out of WWE entirely and at a minimum having requested their releases. Such a shame, such a waste of talent if they can't move on from this gimmick or leave the territory or whatever the case. And I can't believe that when Triple H took over creative all those months ago, one of his prime focuses in NXT saying to Sean, hey, you got to get these guys out of this stupid dyad gimmick and make them the Grizzled Young Veterans again, or at least do something else with them. So we'll see if they leave, we'll see if they're using this as a swerve to get the Creeds up to the main roster, and then if that does happen, whether Diet eventually leaves anyway, but color me intrigued, this is another piece of booking here where, like with the D'Angelo family and Gallus, uh, I may not necessarily love the individual pieces, in this case Schism, but I am intrigued by the storyline, and Shawn Michaels continues to do a great job from a booking standpoint. Gigi Dolan fought Kiana James. Kiana failed using her bag as a weapon, so Dolan ducked and hit her with that like abdominal crucifix bomb type finisher for the win. Uh, James attacked with the bag after the bell, then she unzipped it to reveal two cans of paint that she dumped on Gigi. At least they were orange and blue. Go Gators. Uh, It was an okay match with an okay finish and an okay post match. Just not really that enticing. Gigi needs to work with women who can match her in-ring skill and the idea of like Kiana James dumping paint on her because Gigi's an artist. It's like, what are we even doing here? It's, it's just, it was stupid. Uh, Mr. Stone eventually found Von Wagner while looking for him backstage. Wagner had his head in his hands talking about the traumatic photos and his family having to see them again or something. It was supposed to be him upset about last week, but I didn't exactly explain why he chose to speak on it last week. It was horrendously acted by Vaughn. Like, literally one of the worst things that Come Tuesday has ever done. And again, I just get those vibes from him of like, this is not going to work and you can keep trying. But unless you find something maybe with comedy, then this guy is a serious performer. He just doesn't have the acting chops to pull it off. Uh, Lucian Price and Bronco Nima were playing football in the hood during a vignette, reminiscing about their childhood and how their football careers got short. They were focused on rekindling their brotherhood and dominating NXT. Hank Walker and Tank Ledger watched on an iPad, putting them over with Axiom and Scripts also there. Axiom insisted that he was not a tag team with Scripts when Nathan Frazier walked by and Axiom eyes fully fixated on the Heritage Cup. That was a nice combination of storylines and personalities all kind of integrating here. There's no doubt that uh, Price and Nima, they have Something extremely different that they can bring to the table, both from a look and a physicality standpoint. But I'm curious to see if they can actually go in the ring. That's going to be the key part to the entire thing. By the way, speaking of big guys who are curious whether they can go, they introduced Obafemi like a month ago. And he was supposed to be one of three names that were going to be featured on the show. And he's nowhere to be found. What happened to Obafemi? I liked him. He, he made a huge impact. Guys disappeared. Uh, I'm also glad going back to this. That Axiom is not just resigned to being in a tag team with scripts. It was frustrating that they kind of did it two weeks ago. If they wind up in a tag team, that's okay. But him saying, hey, look, we did it because we needed to get something done. We had to beat DaBakato, Cool. Now that's over. I'm not in a team with you necessarily. I like that he kind of showed that almost gumption, I guess, is a good word to use. Uh, Dana Brooke was icing her knee in the training room when Kalani Jordan introduced herself saying Dana inspired her. She's a gymnast like Dana used to be, but Kalani was more of a uh, collegiate gymnast. Uh, They agreed to a match once Brooke is fully healthy. This Kalani Jordan is former uh, Michigan State gymnast Leah Mitchell, who made her TV debut, for those who might have been wondering. Uh, And lastly, Roxanne Perez and Blair Davenport is on for next week. This came about after Blair attacked Roxy while she was doing social media work last week. Uh, JC Jane later talked shit about Lyra Vicuria to a group of women when Lyra appeared behind her and again slugged her in the face and said she doesn't play games. Then Rhea Ripley popped back in saying Jane deserved it, and Lyra is a badass, so she put her over. Nice storyline continuation all around, but not that much else to kind of chew on uh, coming out of this. And that, folks, was the week in NXT. There's actually a pretty significant card that has already been announced for next week's show. Those two matches, the Loser Leaves NXT match, and of course, uh, Roxanne Perez against the former Bia Priestley, now Blair Davenport. Chief among those matches. So, next week should be a damn good episode. But this week was a damn good episode. And honestly, NXT has been running hot for a good period of time right now. Really, um, coming out of Battleground, it has just been on absolute fire. That was a great premium live event. And the shows since have just been really cohesive. The main roster talent coming down has lifted them. I'm very curious to see what the ratings are going to look like coming for this gold rush out of last week's gold rush, which did significant improvement uh, from a number standpoint with, of course, Seth Rollins on that show, whether they maintain it or don't, we'll find out later Wednesday afternoon. But I appreciate all of you listening to this edition of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast on the way out. Reminders as always. First, of course, that this podcast is all about Define. so be sure to leave those five-star ratings for us on apple podcast and spotify on apple if you leave a five-star written review we will read it live right here on the show and on spotify if you leave any specifically great comments we will read those live right here on the show also do not forget to follow us on twitter at getting overcast for episode drops news analysis highlights All that good stuff. This week, you also get to vote in our pre- and post-show polls for WWE Money in the Bank on Saturday. And you can join us for a live show Saturday afternoon on Twitter Spaces. Last but not least, please remember, I happen to love the number five. And for only five bucks a month, you can become an official Getting Overhead by joining us at buymeacoffee.com slash over You get bonus audio, you get news posts every week, and you get to support the show the continuation of the getting over wrestling podcast don't forget we will be back on thursday with our aew njpw forbidden door fallout episode we'll also discuss dynamite collision and rampage and then on saturday your wwe money in the bank instant reaction podcast all right here at getting over Thank you all once again for listening to this edition of the show. The Silver King will be back Thursday and Saturday, as I just mentioned. At this point, it is time for me to sign off and leave you with just three final words. Bye for now.